Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you've joined us this week. Uh, we've got a lot of questions to answer and we're going to answer as many as we can today and go as fast as we can because we want you to know some more of your Bible and that's a great way to do it, we think, by taking questions from our viewing audience. So you'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us and uh, tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And we'll try to find you a Bible answer. We get some that are just, where is this? Or what verse is this? And we get some about doctrine. Does the Bible really teach this? Does the Bible really say that? And uh, we're happy to try to find answers to those. We also get a lot of life questions and current event questions. What the Bible say about what's going on in the world here or what's going on in my family or how do I handle this situation at work? And we'll try to find you some Bible answers to all of those kind of questions. So give us a call or log on. You tell us what you want us to talk about. And then this guy, Toby Levering, and I will try to answer them. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. Uh, viewers keeping us busy here. we got plenty to answer, but uh, we're going to give them one to work on during the program. Uh, got a little cow question here. How many cows were in Pharaoh's dream? Remember the old story of Joseph and Pharaoh? Pharaoh had some dreams, and Joseph had to interpret them. And one of them was about cows. So how many cows? And we'll give you the answer at the end of the program. And then we're going to let Toby start. you got sure. question number one. It's a question you might get on other religious television programs. And the question is, what are the last signs before the coming of Christ? And most other programs would probably head immediately to Daniel and then to Revelation and apply those templates all toward modern events and say, he's coming right now. And that I say that facetiously because that's kind of what the model is, is to uh, take a few verses here and there and say, see, uh, what happened on CNN today, that's right here in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. Um, and we're overstretching the scriptures, especially those uh, prophecies that were made uh, at a different time and for a different reason than which we apply them. Uh, how I'm going to answer that is is to say, uh, there will not be any unusual signs before Jesus returns. Uh, it will be a very sudden and unexpected event. He was very clear that when that day comes, uh, now the answer that I'm going to give you is found in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 has to be read carefully because at the beginning of that chapter, the apostles ask two questions. They say, first, what are the signs of uh, when uh, the coming destruction, which meaning the destruction of the temple, Jerusalem in 70 A.D., which we know from history. And uh, Jesus was talking about the temple being destroyed and all of that. And they say, what are the signs? Tell us, how do we know that's when that's about to happen? And he tells them very specifically the signs, but he's talking about a historical event that's already happened. 
And then they say, what is the sign of the end of the age? And this is his answer, which is the answer to your question, Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 20, uh, 42 through 44. He says, therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and not would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Uh, he was very clear uh, that when that day comes, it's going to be like a thief in the night. Uh, it's not something you expect. It's not something you prepare for. And for a lot of people, they're going to be sorry that it happened because it's going to be a terrible day of judgment uh, when he does return. All we're told is that it is going to happen and that when it happens, uh, everything will be basically going on as normal. And so when he comes back, I don't think there will be any signs. That's not the point. The point is just be ready. Alrighty. Speaking in tongues question next. If you want to know, do you have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit in you? Uh, no, definitely not. That's a false doctrine, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. Uh, how do you have the Holy Spirit in you? One verse explains that very clearly. Uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 uh, people on the day of Pentecost wanted to know what they needed to do to be saved, and Peter made it pretty clear. He said, you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he added this, he said, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, notice he said the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the gift. Uh, the Holy Spirit was given to us when we were saved. Uh, he came in to dwell in us, to take up residence in us and encourages, empowers, do a lot of things that we don't have time to talk about. But that's when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I said speaking in tongues and uh, that connection was a false doctrine. It's a very modern false doctrine, uh, only a little over a hundred years old. Uh, there have been a few instances through the centuries of uh, people speaking in ecstatic language and uh, comes from paganism. Uh, but a little over a hundred years ago, uh, some folks came up with the doctrine that we want to have the experience of the apostles. Uh, we want to do what they did on the day of Pentecost, and that'll prove that uh, we've got the Holy Spirit. And so that's when modern day tongue speaking. Uh, which is not biblical speaking in tongues. Biblical speaking in tongues is speaking in languages, actually being able to speak a language that somebody understands. Uh, but modern day tongue speaking is an ecstatic language uh, that is not a language. So, uh, and that was, came to be taught as that's when you get the Holy Spirit. It's a second act of grace, some of them teach, and all that. Uh, no, the Bible's very clear about how we get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, speaking in other languages was one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, a gift from the Holy Spirit, not a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so they get that a little bit confused and uh, try to replicate uh, that gift, or other miraculous gifts of the Spirit that they don't try to replicate. Well, very few people try to replicate. 
uh, handling poison snakes and drinking poison and uh, a few things like that that nobody tries very much. Uh, but speaking in tongues is easily replicated uh, as a event, as an experience. Uh, so some people do teach that's <coughs> related to the Holy Spirit coming into us, and that's not biblical. It's a false doctrine. All right. The next question is a really good one from, I think, a, a parent. And they say, how, do I, how can I encourage my 15-year-old to read her Bible? Well, uh, reading your Bible regularly is a is a practice it's an excellent practice it takes a little bit of self-discipline and usually time to get better at the habit but like all habits they can be uh, uh, gradually uh, brought in and to a point where it's just a natural part of your life now I don't know as a parent whether Bible reading is a, a habit or a practice for you uh, if it is that's probably the best way to encourage your 15 year old to read her Bible is to read it with her and and to let her see you reading it and when you have discussions about uh, news of the day or what's going on in, in her life uh, or uh, uh, struggle that she's having, try to think through, well, what does the scripture say so that you can say, well, let's look at what God has to say about this. And you try to turn right there. And what that does is develops in her a respect and honor for the, the word and its efficacy in our lives. Uh, so make sure that you're setting the good example of doing that yourself. First uh, Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul said, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I think in parenting, a lot, a lot more often than not, uh, more is caught than taught. Uh, and it's the things, the example and the lifestyle that our kids see, uh, for good or for bad, by the way, uh, that they that they take on within themselves. So if you want to encourage your 15-year-old to read her Bible, make sure that you're doing it um, and find her maybe a good Bible for her, uh, one that she can read that's as accurate as possible. Uh, maybe read it together, work through a reading plan, either an app on your phone or a website or even just uh, one that you might find. Uh, maybe sign up for the Bible Correspondence course and work through that together. Open your Bible would be a good thing to do. Um, maybe just place that Bible open on her dresser and uh, point out, you know, highlight a scripture that would be encouraging or helpful. I know some parents that write scriptures on the mirrors of the bathroom and so forth or, or have little sticky notes that they'll put in their lunches or on their lockers, things like that. So you're bringing the Word into her life. Now, obviously... Teenagers are naturally going to maybe roll their eyes or, or something like that. But you do that enough, eventually, as the proverb says, Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he or she should go. Uh, when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Let me give you a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Uh, These words that I command you today shall be upon your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk, and you shall talk of them when you sit in the house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. The best way is to set the best example by doing it yourself, and also to make the Word not just a book, but a part of your everyday life. All right. If you've watched this program very long, you know that uh, Bible study is pretty important to us, and we 
That's why we're on the air is to help you study the Bible. But we also each week talk about you studying the Bible. And we've got some free materials that we think help people do that. We know it helps people do that because we've done it for years and we get a lot of feedback from folks that learned a lot of Bible with Know Your Bible Study materials. Uh, we've got some different courses. We always show this first course on the screen. There's eight lessons in it and it's just a good basic non-denominational Bible course. Good way to study the Bible. A good way to get introduced to the Bible. Uh, even if you're an old-time Bible student, it will bring a lot of things back to you that you learned a long time ago maybe and kind of forgotten. It starts with the Old Testament, the New Testament, and telling the difference between those two. So it's a pretty basic course, good way to get started. <clears throat> and uh, like I said, it's absolutely free of charge. All you have to do is call that phone number or log on to the website and we'll get it started for you. Uh, a lot of folks are a little leery of calling or uh, giving their address to a religious TV program because all of a sudden they get a lot of uh, asks for money and uh, they get put on a mailing list and keep getting mail they don't want. doesn't happen at Know Your Bible. Uh, don't get on a mailing list. We've never asked anybody for money. We just provide these free materials and if you want to study the Bible with them, take us up on it and get started today. Give us a call or log on. All right, viewers got a personal situation here. It says, a church told me I didn't know my Bible well enough to be baptized. Uh, can you become a Christian as you are? Um, well, let me answer this from two perspectives. First of all, yes, you can only become a Christian as you are. Uh, you can't get good enough. Uh, to be baptized. You can't get good enough to come to the Lord. Uh, you can't know enough Bible. Uh, you can't pass the Bible trivia test uh, well enough uh, to be baptized. Uh, in fact, that's why we sing that old song, Just As I Am. Uh, that's the only way you can come to Christ. So we understand that. Uh, we've got biblical examples of people that didn't know much Bible of uh, being baptized. There's one story of a fellow from Africa who was reading in the old scriptures, which was all he had, and he didn't even understand that. Uh, but God sent Philip to teach him, and Philip started there at where he was studying in the old scriptures, and he taught Jesus to him. He told him about Jesus. Now, this happened while they were riding along in a chariot, and we don't know how long it took, but couldn't have been couple hours maybe and then this happened in uh, Acts chapter 8 and verse 36 uh, the scripture says that uh, the eunuch the fellow from Africa said look here's water why shouldn't I be baptized and Philip said if you believe with all your heart you may and the official answered I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and Philip went down into the water with him he baptized him and they both came up out of the water and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing uh, is the rest of the story. So there a fellow didn't know a whole lot about the Bible, uh, but he learned about Jesus and who he was and what he needed to do. Uh, he learned about baptism while he was hearing about Jesus, and he said, I want to do that. Uh, then he went back home still not knowing much Bible. Okay, so from that perspective, you don't have to know a whole lot of Bible. Now, from the other perspective, if a church told you that, I don't want to be too hard on them. I don't want to say they told you something wrong because maybe they didn't. 
if somebody came to our church, the Northside Church of Christ, and said, I want to be baptized, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, uh, I would still ask a few questions because baptism is a serious business. Uh, Toby or I would ask you or one of our elders or whoever was talking to you uh, would want to make sure that you understood what you were doing. Uh, this is not a simple one quick thing that you don't think about the rest of your life. This is a life-changing decision. Uh, so we'd want to make sure you understood what it meant and what you were doing. So we'd ask you some questions about that. Uh, we'd want to make sure that you had counted the cost. Uh, Jesus says before you become a disciple is you need to count the cost. Uh, so if this is going to mean radical changes in your life and you're not willing to make those or you haven't thought about them and all that, we'd probably talk about that a little bit. And finally, maybe if you've said that you had this sin or this problem in your life uh, and you're going to keep right on doing it, you have no intention of repenting, uh, admittedly this is rare, but some people do that, uh, we'd say, well, you may not understand what baptism means yet. So I can envision some situations where a church might tell you, well, you don't understand enough yet or you haven't counted the cost or you don't know what the Bible really says about this. Uh, and we want to study some more with you, I understand that completely. So I only know one side of the story from our viewers' question here, uh, and I want to make sure that uh, they understand you don't need to know a whole lot of Bible, uh, but you do need to understand what baptism is. So hopefully that helps, and uh, if the church told you that for some reason, ask them some more questions about it and see what they're telling you that for. All right, Toby. Okay, a uh, question uh, viewer asks is, what does the Bible say about polygamy? Well, the Bible starts out not talking about polygamy, but in God's original plan. John, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, uh, we're told, this isn't on your screen, but you can follow along at home in Genesis 2, verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so God's original plan has always been not polygamy, but, not, but monogamy. Uh, one man and one woman uh, for one lifetime. And that was his intent uh, as he created the institution of the family, which was one of the first uh, social organizations that God uh, gave us. And he did that because it's not good for us to be alone. Uh, he did that as an avenue for raising children and having children and procreating um, and his plan, of course, is always best. Unfortunately, human beings don't always follow God's plan. And throughout the Bible, you will see examples of uh, uh, polygamy. You'll see examples of adultery. You'll see examples of homosexuality and divorce. Um, those all stray at one element or another from God's original plan of one man plus one woman for one lifetime. Uh, that was the original plan, but human beings always have different ideas. We think we know better, and we think we're above God's standards, and, and uh, the Bible speaks very openly and honestly about people falling in that. It never advocates, never says this is okay, never condones it in any way. Uh, and, and in fact, we're just brought back again and again to the original plan. Uh, I know there are some people that will 
look at examples of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and say, these guys had more than one wives, and they were clearly people of faith, so it must be okay with God. No, 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 that's not it at all. I mean, that's a very poor standard for what we look at behavior. I mean, the Bible contains so many examples of other terrible things, incest and rape and drunkenness and murder and idolatry and adultery. And just because the people did those things that's accounted for or talked about in the Bible does not mean God was okay with it. Uh, far from it. God was very clear that these are not the things that he wanted for them. Uh, he wanted much better for them. So polygamy is not a practice that God approves of or condones because it strays from his plan. And uh, that plan started in Genesis 2.24. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was asked uh, about a similar kind of question, not about polygamy, but about divorce. And he just said, go back to the original plan. Uh, let's look at Matthew 19 together. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore shall a, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus said, This is what your father intended marriage to be. Stick with what he intended, and you'll be blessed for it. So, nope, the Bible doesn't condone polygamy. It does have some examples of it, but does not condone it at all. All righty. There's some sins in the Bible I kind of can halfway understand, but polygamy just makes no sense to me. <laughs> I don't understand that, why anybody would want to do that. Maybe it's because I've been married to the same woman for over 50 years. And that, that works pretty well, and polygamy just doesn't seem reasonable to me. <laughs> All righty, let's talk about 1 Timothy 4. That's what the viewer wants explained and says that passage, 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, has got something in it about not eating meat. Uh, actually, it doesn't talk about meat. It talks about denying certain foods. Uh, what Paul is talking about there to Timothy is it's an example of false teaching. And he starts off that passage. We won't take time to read it all, but he starts off in the first verse and he says, there's going to be false teachers. Uh, the Spirit told me that in later times there will be false teachers and they'll teach things that are demonic and uh, and wrong and uh, false teaching. And he says, here's a couple of examples in verse 3. Uh, they'll forbid people to marry, so they'll teach that certain people ought to be celibate and not get married. And he says they'll also order them to abstain from Satan certain foods. And so those are two examples of false teaching. Now that's what the verses are talking about. But then he goes on and comments about teaching people that you can't eat certain foods. And he says foods were created by God to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. It's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Uh, so we know from other teaching in the Bible that there are no restricted foods. Uh, Jesus himself authorized the eating of all foods, it says. And then God told Peter that he could eat all the foods that used to be unclean and all that. So it's an example of false teaching. Uh, people today do prohibit some people from marrying. Uh, they also do tell people that you can't eat this food or that food. Uh, maybe good dietary advice, but it's not 
good religious advice is what Paul's saying here is God created everything to be eaten uh, with thanksgiving. So that's what that passage is about. Take just a moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. The churches of Christ keep us on the air and provide this program for you. And we like to mention a different one each week. Uh, today, let me mention our partner up in South Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the Southeastern uh, Church of Christ there uh, helps keep us on the air and as our partners in that area. So if you live up there in South Dakota, close to Sioux Falls, drop in, visit them sometime. Uh, maybe you know somebody that worships there. Just tell them, hey, I saw you guys on TV the other day and I watched that Know Your Bible and appreciate you keeping it on the air for us. So pass that on to them and we add that to our thanks uh, for the Southeastern Church of Christ in Sioux Falls. Any market you're in, probably a Church of Christ near you, uh, drop in, visit them sometime, especially if you're church searching for a church home. You'd be warmly welcomed. All right, Toby, you got a little Passover here. Yes, a viewer wants to know about uh, what new covenant was Jesus talking about on the Passover. Well, this comes from Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Let's read it together on the screen. It says, And likewise the cup after he after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay, so the viewer is asking the question, what, what is he talking about when he says new blood there? Of course, he's partaking of the Passover feast, which is a part of the old covenant. And there was a lot of meaning there, which we won't go into. But he's <clears throat> pointing toward a better covenant, which would come by and through his blood, which is going to be at, offered at the cross. Once he offered that, uh, for those who would enter into it through faith, repentance, and baptism, we enter into a new and better. A covenant is simply a, an arrangement, an agreement between two parties. If you live in a covenant community, for example, you have a, a list of rules that everybody living in that community agrees to abide by. Well, the new covenant under Christ, we agree to live under the authority of Christ and His teaching. Uh, there was one sacrifice, not multiple sacrifices, one high priest, not many, uh, one mediator between God and man, that's Christ. Uh, it was a covenant of grace, not of law keeping, and it was a covenant that was made by faith and trust in Him uh, as evidenced by our works. So, uh, Christians today, those who are Christ followers, live under this new covenant, the covenant to which Jesus referred. If you want to do an in-depth study, I would encourage you to turn to the book of Hebrews. That's the whole theme of it. If you could boil it down to one word, the book of Hebrews is, is uh, sum summarized in one word. That's better. And he's speaking of this, the difference in the old covenant and the new covenant. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant He mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So, hope that helps in a two-minute answer. Good, good explanation there, and goes back to what we say all the time about uh, the correspondence course starts mm -hmm. with the Old Testament, the New Testament, understanding that difference. Yep. Uh, if folks just knew the difference there, we'd uh, they could answer about 50% of the questions we right. get on this program. <laughs> the, the Old Covenant is different, a good one, but it yep. wasn't, we're not under it anymore. Stick to the right covenant. All right, we're glad you've been with us today. We're out of time for questions, but we're going to make sure you get your uh, trivia question answered here. And it was about a dream that Pharaoh had. How many cows were in Pharaoh's dream? A little bit of a trick question. There were 14 altogether. Uh, there were seven skinny cows and seven fat cows. And, of course, that was a prophecy about seven uh, very good years of harvest. And then there was going to be a drought 
and seven lean years in Egypt, and Joseph managed all that for Pharaoh and got famous for it. Glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week and try to answer some more questions. Hope you come back then. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.